And the broken-hearted people aren't just out there, way, way, way beyond the oceans on the other side of the world. We have broken-hearted people right here sitting in this very room. But do we have a solution? The truth is we do have a solution. A better question maybe is do we know the solution? Are we living the solution? Are we telling the solution? Because broken hearts are real and broken hearts are out there and broken hearts need to be binded. You see, God's word is telling us that we right here as his body and as his children, as his authentic life-transforming community, he expects us, he expects us to bind up the broken-hearted. He expects us to do something about the broken lives and the broken hearts sitting right here in this room, sitting beyond in Brisbane, sitting beyond in Australia and sitting all over the world. But do we know what to do in our own lives with our own broken hearts? We need to know how to bind our own broken hearts before we can go talking to somebody else. Or do we just hope it's going to go away, it's someone else's problem? We've been studying from Isaiah 61. We've been looking at verse 1. And verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because I've been anointed to preach the good news. That's what verse 1 says, and that's what we've been studying. And the last two weeks, we've been just looking at that first sentence in this beautiful verse. The first thing we learned from this verse was the very beginning bit where Jesus said in the synagogue, he said, this is me this verse is talking about. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And what we learned in that first sermon from this scripture is that it's not only Jesus that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on, but it's you and me. We are filled with the spirit. So an authentic life transforming community is filled filled with his spirit. That's what we learnt from this first sermon in this series. The reason we can be so confident that it's not just Jesus who the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on is because his word tells us that. Our hearts confirm that anyway, but his word is very clear. We don't have to doubt it. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.21, now it is God who makes who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, that's you and me. He set his seal of ownership on us, that's you and me. And he put his spirit in our hearts. Have we grasped that? Do we understand the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you and me? And that makes a difference when it comes to this problem of a broken heart. We learnt that his spirit influences us. We no longer make, well, maybe we do. I was going to say we no longer make poor choices. But we no longer have to always make poor choices is the truth. Because the spirit of the Lord is on us, we can now make good moral choices. He influences us. We learnt that we are surrounded by his spirit. We looked at this slide two weeks ago. That's us in the middle and God surrounding us. When we move on to the next slide. Hey, James. That's us in the middle. We're in the centre and God is surrounding us. He is totally aware of us. He never leaves us. 
He surrounds us. So that was the first sermon in this series. The second sermon then moves on to the next section of this scripture. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me and he has anointed you to do something really important with our lives. There is meaning and there is importance and there is purpose in each one of our lives. And this scripture goes on to tell us the meaning and the purpose and the work that we've got to do. The very first thing he says is, because I've anointed you to preach the good news. And that's what we learned about last week. We've got some good news to preach. We've got some good news to tell. Isaiah 61 is showing us, as an authentic, life-transforming community, what he wants us to do. Isaiah 61.1 is saying, preach the good news. He says, preach the good news, and then he says, I've sent you to do some other stuff as well. He says, I have sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. We need a solution to give people to bind up their broken hearts. We need a solution when we've got a broken heart. So today, we're going to learn, as an authentic life-transforming community, how we can bind up broken hearts. There's many, many broken-hearted people. And I guess when I think about the broken-hearted, my mind immediately went right over the seas, over to Africa, into this very poor, poor place. There are poor people here. He said, preach the good news to the poor. So they come to mind when I read this scripture. He says, bind the broken-hearted. I think about those beautiful, beautiful, dark, dark-skinned little children who are abandoned, they're abused, they're orphaned. I think they're poor, they're broken-hearted. They're beautiful, but they're way over in the ocean. What can I do, Lord? And I think about these beautiful children and I think, wow, I wonder what I could do. And then I look on the net and I think, wow, other people are doing something. I want you to imagine these beautiful little children and they're way over the other side of the globe. So have a look at this map. I want you to think about this little village in Kenya, a very poor country, lots and lots and lots of abandoned kids and lots of orphaned kids whose parents have been killed. A beautiful group of Christians have come in and have started building homes there in a little village called Mata, which in Hebrew means to plant. So what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to take these beautiful children and they're wanting to plant in them the knowledge of God and the love of God. And these beautiful children are learning his word and this little village in Kenya, these particular little children, they've been learning Isaiah 61 too, just like we have. So I thought they might be able to perhaps recite Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3 better than any of us. So have a listen to them now as they recite this beautiful scripture for us. But aren't they just beautiful? Don't you just want to wrap your arms around those beautiful little African children and mend those beautiful little broken hearts? They have nothing, these children, absolutely nothing. And yet with God they have hope. They've got a smiling face. You know, they've got something to eat. They are just so beautiful. And I think to myself, that's who comes to mind when I think about the poor and the brokenhearted, those beautiful kids. I, I could, I could just rush over there and say, okay, Lord, that's the purpose of my life. I could join with those people and I could 
bake them something to eat and sit with them and talk to them about this beautiful love that's just for them. But you know, that's my sentiments. I get drawn to these beautiful little children and there's nothing wrong with helping those beautiful little African children. And then I ask myself, is that what God is saying to us when he says, preach the good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted? Does he want me to jump in a plane and go to Africa? And maybe one day he will. Maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll be saying, yeah, I'm off to Africa because God's actually confirmed it now. Those beautiful little kids, go for your life. But then I said to God, there's something not quite right, is there? He said, no, your definition is not quite right, Liz. You need to go back to my word and look at what I meant when I said, bind up the brokenhearted. Let me tell you, Liz, who the brokenhearted are. Your sentiments want to go there to those beautiful little children, but I want to tell you who the brokenhearted are. You have no idea, Liz, who the brokenhearted are. Because there's a, we're living in a broken, broken world, and it's because of these broken hearts. So let's have a look and see what God tells us. What is his intention? So the first thing to remember is the context of this verse. We're looking at Isaiah 61 verse 1. We're looking at a prophet Isaiah who's telling, he's, he's the, whole, well, the whole first half of the book is really preaching judgment upon Judah and Israel. And he's saying to the people of Judah in particular, he's saying, you ungodly lot, you've been disobedient. On the outside, you have this form of godliness, but on the inside, those hearts of yours, they're corrupt. They're broken. So the first place to start when we're trying to understand what God is telling us about who the brokenhearted are is to look at what's the context of the verse. Oops. We have a prophet telling a nation who are incredibly disobedient, whose hearts are incredibly corrupt, that they need to bind up the brokenhearted. There's some brokenhearted people that need binding up. You know, David... <laughs> is a, an interesting character in the Bible. He did a lot of wrong stuff, and yet he didn't want to be associated with anyone that shows this outwardly form of godliness, but inwardly they were corrupt. He tells us in Psalms 28, verse 3, he said, Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbours. There's that outwards, oh, I'm also pleasant to you, to my neighbours on the outside. I'm so cordial. I'm so well-mannered. My words are so smooth. But they harbour malice in their hearts. It's interesting that that malice, what's malice? It's meanness. It's nastiness. It's cruelty. It's wickedness. It's evil. That's what malice is. We all know it. We've all experienced it. And we've all been the mean one. We've all been the nasty one. We've all received it and we've all given it. But God's giving us an idea here already. David is telling us he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. People who are godly on the outside, but they're corrupt on the inside. Maybe corruption has something to do with the brokenheartedness that God is talking about. Let's go to the Hebrew. There's two Hebrew words. There's a broken and there's a hearted. The broken means break, break in or down, rend violently, wreck, crush or quench. 
Now I'm getting an idea of the brokenness. This is totally wrecked. This isn't just a little chip. This isn't just a little tarnish. This is totally wrecked through the center of our hearts. That's the brokenness of the hearts that God wants us to bind, including our own. So that's how broken he's talking. When he's talking broken, it's wrecked, crushed. And the heart, what are we talking about here? I mean, when I look at those beautiful African children, my heart breaks because I think their hearts have broken. What am I actually saying? It's like, I don't think they'd be feeling very nice. They'd be feeling really sad. They'd be feeling abandoned. And yes, that is part of the brokenness. But where does that come from? Where does that start? It starts with the heart defined the way God defines the heart. He says the thing that's been totally wrecked, it's the inner man, it's the mind, it's the will, it's the heart, it's the understanding, it's what's going inside of us that's been wrecked. And in particular, it's the heart of moral character. That beautiful moral character of Jesus in his spirit, which is upon us, that's the thing that we need to bind up our broken character, our broken hearts. You see, moral character really is saying or doing anything Jesus would say or do. And all you have to do is look on the news to see how much we live in a broken-hearted world. How many people are saying and doing things that don't come near to what Jesus would say or do to another human being? There are plenty of broken hearts out there. But we've got to start by looking at our own before we cast our eye afar. What about our own moral choices? What about what we're saying and doing to other people? Is there any break or crack in our own hearts? You see, it's hard to believe, I suppose, that such beautiful people that we live with could have such corrupt hearts. That human beings, could they really be that bad? God's telling us sin is so bad. He said, it's so bad I'm going to send my own son to die on a cross. That's how bad it is. But I think we forget how bad sin is. We forget that people can make such immoral choices. And I want to tell you a little bit about um, a set of experiments that was done at the beginning of the 1960s to demonstrate this. This is horrific. It's just a horrible um, disclosure of human nature and the corruptness of human beings' hearts and the corruptness that sin causes in our hearts. So it was in the early 60s, and this was um, a series of experiments that were done which would never happen today because there's no ethics committee on earth that would agree to actually doing what happened in these experiments. However, I'm glad they did them back then in a sense because we learned something very important. It's demonstrated very well for us when we look at people's behaviour in these situations. So if you can imagine, um, there's two rooms. So in one room, there's um, a guy sitting there and he's got a speaker and through the speaker he's going to be asked some questions. So he's sitting over here in this room. So in the first room is an experimenter with a white coat on and he has one man in this room. So this man signed up to do this experiment um, and he's come in and the experimenter said to him, your job is to sit down at this desk and see these list of questions here. You need to read out the question through the microphone. 
There's a guy sitting in the next room who's going to hear the question through the speaker. When you ask the question, then you now need to listen to his answer and the answer was written straight underneath where the question was. All pretty simple, straightforward stuff. So these were sort of general knowledge questions that he was asking the guy in the next room. Now he said to him, if he gets it right, then just move on to the next question. However, if he gets it wrong, there's a little button here that you need to push. And next to the little button is a dial. And the dial goes from 0 volts to 240 volts. If he gets the first question incorrect, then you put the little dial up to 20 volts. If he gets the second question incorrect, you go up another 20 volts and so on until you get up to the maximum of 240 volts. So the guy asks the question. The guy in the next room answers it correctly. He moves on to the next question. He asks the next question. He answers it incorrectly. He has to now push the button which gives the guy in the next room an electric shock. Moves on to the next question. He gets it wrong. He has to turn the dial up, give him another electric shock. He has to go through all the questions until he gets up to the maximum of 240 volts to give the guy in the next room an electric shock. Now, as he's shocking this guy and he's getting up, the guy in the next room is now yelling because... He's, he's screaming out. Now, what you've got to understand is the guy in the next room is not getting shocked. He's pretending to get shocked. He's a confederate in the experiment. But the guy sitting here asking the questions doesn't know that. He thinks he's really getting shocked when he says the wrong answer. So, you'd hope, wouldn't you, if you were sitting there in that experiment, that you wouldn't press that button or maybe just a mild zap, you might. But you think you'd stop, wouldn't you? You think the moral character in your heart would say, don't hurt another human being just because they can't get the answer right to a geography question or a history question or a maths question. The horrendous results of this experiment show that 65% of people went all the way to 240 volts. That's how corrupt our hearts are and that's how easily led astray we are when we're put into that situation. I don't think they're any worse or better people than you or I. They're just everyday people. But 65% went all the way to 240 volts. It's horrendous to think that they were governed by a man in a white suit, an experimenter. By the way, when they said something like, I don't want to carry on, the experimenter would say something like, you need to continue. It was just a very standard statement. You need to continue. You need to keep going. It's important you keep going. And what's really interesting about this experiment is that um, they actually wrote up um, a little article afterwards. In fact, this has drawn a lot of attention. This is like one of the, the infamous psychology experiments you learn about in you know, first year psych. But one of the things they noticed, and they call it the foot in the door phenomenon, which is really interesting because you know, we know that if you give the devil a foothold, off he goes. 
What was interesting is that if they put someone in the room and it's 240 volts, they don't do it straight up. But if you start in increments and you get people agree to sit in this seat and become the judge, you got it wrong, I need to punish you, people were willing, generally 65% of people were willing to go there. So it's an incremental thing. It's like if I just do a little sin, maybe I can just do a little bit more and maybe I can just do a little bit more. But people asked to do it straight away and they said flatly refused. So you see, we look at that situation and we say, I'd never do that. I'd never do that to somebody else. But at what point would you stop? And in the situation that you're in, would you stop at 20 or 40 or 60? And what happened is these people now are being governed by a voice that we hope we're never going to be governed by. You see, the prince of this world uses exactly the same strategy on you and I. He says, just keep going. It won't hurt that much. No one's really getting hurt by this little sin that you're doing. No one's really getting hurt by those nasty words. No one's really getting hurt by that malice in your heart. No one can see it. You see, that's exactly the strategy the devil uses to break our heart. You see, this great big chasm here means that me over here and God over here, it's our own sin that separates us. And we get hooked in when we give the devil a foothold. We give it to him by agreeing with the little moral choices, the things that are only just a little bit bad. That's okay. And you can hide them because on the outside I'm being cordial to my neighbours. No one knows the malice in my heart or the corruption in my heart or the great big chasm between me and God. No one can see that. You see, the brokenness is real and the brokenness is huge. You see, instead of the beautiful fruit of the spirit, the character of the spirit, these works of the flesh are the thing that's breaking our hearts. This is what's doing the damage. So Isaiah 61.1 says, He sent us to bind up the brokenhearted. Now we understand that the brokenhearted is the sin that causes the crushing of our hearts, the crushing of our inner man. He says, I've sent you to bind them up. So how on earth are we going to bind up such a huge problem? Binding up, what does it mean? It means to tie, to bind, to bind up, saddle, restrain, bandage. And I've put govern in red there because govern is the key. You see... We don't have to listen to the experimenter telling us to push the button and hurt somebody else. We can say no to ungodliness now if we have the spirit of God residing in us. But we've got to choose who our master is. And it's the binding up that gives us a new master. Let's have a little bit of a closer look at this binding up. Bandaged is the word that's often used in the Bible. It's bind up or bandage. So in Isaiah 1.6 we read, From the sole of your foot to the top of your head there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with all. What that tells us is this problem goes from head to foot, rich to poor, the smartest to the dumbest. This is not just a broken problem over in Africa somewhere. This is all of mankind from head to foot. 
Another version of the Bible, the Bible in basic English, which I'm not that familiar with, but I like this translation of Isaiah 1.6. It says, The body from head to foot again is all diseased, diseased with sin. It is a mass of open wounds, marks of blows and broken flesh. The flow of blood has not been stopped. You see, it's the bleeding hearts, it's the blood that needs to be covered to be stopped. We need binding up in our own hearts and they need binding up in their hearts. The bleeding needs to stop. The world is full of bleeding hearts and it's not going to get any better unless we do our job to bind up the brokenhearted. You see, there's plenty of brokenhearted people. And when we start thinking of those beautiful little children in Africa, you see, we're sitting here, we've got the Spirit of God around us, but you know, Africa is way out here. And maybe there's people in this room who God's going to say, go to Africa and go and look after those children. But what if he's not calling us to go to Africa? What if there's actually people in Australia? Because there's plenty of people in Australia and everyone from head to foot is brokenhearted. What about Brisbane? Maybe there's people in Brisbane. What about in our workplace? What about in our family? What about our own hearts? You see, the brokenhearted is not way out there somewhere. The brokenhearted starts here when we examine our own hearts to look at that stuff that we don't want anyone else to know. The brokenhearted are sitting in our own houses at home. The brokenhearted are in our workplaces. The brokenhearted are in the bus. The brokenhearted are all around us. The need is great. And God is saying, you, my authentic, life-transforming body, need to bind up the brokenhearted. 1 John 1.10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. That's pretty broad. That's a lot of broken hearts. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall, glory of the, and fall short of the glory of God. That's all. That's everyone has a broken heart. There's a big field out there. And you know, as a Christian, when we read those, it's easy to say, I used to have a broken heart, and I used to sin, but I'm fixed now because I've got Jesus on the inside. What about this scripture? What about James 3.2? We all stumble in many ways. Or in another version, that's NIV. King James says, for in many things we offend all. That's present tense. We all stumble in many things. We offend all. That's present tense. What are we doing about the sin in our lives today and yesterday and this morning? That's breaking our hearts. That sin is separating me from God. And all of a sudden, I feel trapped in this house with no windows, with no doors, with no light. I'm trapped in this place, separated from God. This broken-hearted problem is a big problem. We've got to look at our own lives and say, how do I bind up me first before I start looking at somebody else? Otherwise, we're hypocritical, are we not? What do we do? How do we bind up the broken-hearted? 
How do we bind up our own broken heart? Do we have any clue? Do we care? Does it matter if no one can see my broken heart? I'm nice on the outside. We find ourselves sometimes in this house and other people are in this windowless, doorless house. We've got to have some answers for them. We've got to have some answers for us. Let's look at three steps. Step number one, we need to receive the bandage of forgiveness to stop the bleeding that separates us from God. So the solution is over here. This is a beautiful whole heart and the thing that we need is we need forgiveness. We're looking for wholeness. This is where we want to be. But we've got to move from here. And when it feels like there's no way out, when it feels like the pain goes on and on, and when people say nothing can help me, it's hopeless, you don't know what you're talking about, as if Jesus is going to make any difference to my life, you don't know what it's like, you don't know what it's like to be in this home with no windows, it's dark, it's horrible, it's hopeless. We've got to know how we got ourselves out, or how Jesus got us out. What did we do to get to Jesus? You see, there's a big roller door here on this side. And what we've got to do is we've got to go over and we've got to lift that roller door up because Jesus is the way. Right here. We've got to go over to that door. We've got to tell people, you've got to go over to Jesus. He's the way out. And it's his forgiveness. It'll fix the inner man. It'll fix your corrupt heart. It'll fix the moral problem. All the stuff that you do wrong, he can forgive you and fix it. This is the answer, and this is the binding. This is the bandaging. It's like his forgiveness is a great big bandage on the inside of our heart. He can fix it. He can bind us. And do you know what? We can keep going back to him because he loves us so much. He wants to keep fixing us. He wants to keep binding us. He wants to keep forgiving us. David knows something about forgiveness, doesn't he? He says in Psalm 32.1, he says, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. He's telling us the joy of having a complete healthy heart, of being forgiven. And he had a lot to be forgiven for. I mean, this guy murdered. This guy was an adulteress, adulterer. This guy was a liar. If God can forgive all of that, God can forgive the stuff that you're doing and God can forgive the stuff that I'm doing. I draw comfort in this idea that the broken heart can be binded by God. He can bandage it. He can fix it. So that's step one. Step two, we need to give forgiveness to others to keep God's bandage over our heart. This is not a one-off statement or declaration or prayer that we make to God and think that's it. I don't have a broken heart anymore. I'm a Christian. Well, you see, the devil is not just sitting back doing nothing. The devil is active. And you know, he can work through all sorts of people to do all sorts of nasty things, say nasty things to us, do nasty things to us. And God said there's a way out. You can get bitter, you can get angry, you can go straight back in the house, the roller door shuts down again, and you can sit here when the nasty stuff comes. You can sit here when other broken-hearted people start firing arrows at you. Or he says you can stay free by forgiving them. 
Jesus makes it pretty clear in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, you're broken again. So you see, these horrible things that happen to us, they've got a really pointy, pointy arrow on them. They hurt. Others' sin hurt. They have a horrible effect on us. And God says, we've got to forgive. Because, you know, it's love that covers a multitude of sins. Peter says to us in 1 Peter 4.8, he says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's hard stuff. I don't like and I find it difficult, but I do it because God says this is the way to bind a broken heart. And you'll go straight back in that windowless, doorless house, Liz, if you want to start holding resentment or bitterness or malice in your own heart. Keep the bandage on, Liz. Give the forgiveness. So I do it. I don't want to sometimes. I find it difficult sometimes. But the alternative is to go back and have a broken heart and separation from God. Step three... We need to keep asking God for additional bandaging for any new sin and to soothe the wounds in our own hearts from others' sin. He doesn't leave us alone when the attacks come and hit us right where it hurts most. He says, Psalm 147.3, he says, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. So he's not just binding up the sin problem you know this wound here right here where it hurts the most God says I'm going to put a nice big bandage over that I'm going to bind that up he knows the pain he knows the difficulties see that word wound God is saying to us let me tell you what I'm going to bind up he says I know your wounds are pain they're hurt they're injury they're sorrow they're wounds He said, that's what I'm going to bandage up. He understands the world, the flesh and the devil and sin in there is painful when it hits us. People's words are very painful. Other people's actions can be very painful. But God says, I can bind your wounds. Come back to me. Come and spend some time with me. Come and sit with me. Come and sing with me. Come and read my word. Come and spend some time with me. Come and do my work. I have some work for you to do. Come and work alongside this authentic, life-transforming community I've put you in. That'll help bind your wounds because you're helping other people bind their wounds. So there is a way out. There is a way out when we've been rejected. There's a way out when we've been criticised. There's a way out when we've been disappointed. There's a way out when we've been damaged, when we've been harmed, when we've been betrayed. There's a way out. And there's a way out for all those people out there that don't think there's a way out, that think this is life, this is as good as it gets. We have a choice. If we have a broken heart and we've got to let other people know they have a choice, there is a way out of this windowless house 
Have a look at this short clip and see what you might say to this young man who's feeling so trapped in this dark, dark house where everything looks broken, everything looks damaged. His life just looks like a house which has been so neglected and so damaged and so wrecked that maybe there's no hope at all. Have a look. Let's stand and let's God ask help us be the life transforming community, a real authentic body of people that binds up the brokenhearted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we forget sometimes how broken our lives were without you. Jesus, we forget sometimes how the brokenness in our lives creeps in, how the devil gets a foothold in our life, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for stumbling, Lord, for the malice that we hold in our hearts. Lord, we cry out to you once again, Lord, and we can be confident in your mercy and grace that you forgive us. Lord, that freedom, the binding that you do in our hearts, in our inner man, that freedom that we experience to choose right now, we're no longer slaves of sin. Lord, that beautiful good news that you have saved us from the power of sin. We can say no to the experimenter in the white coat. We can say no to the prince of this world. We can say no to sin. Lord Jesus, thank you for that freedom from sin. Thank you for binding up our hearts, Lord. Lord, may we remember that it's you that binds up our hearts, that we can come back to you again and again, Lord, to rebind our heart and to bind up the wounds, Lord, from the world, the flesh and the devil, Lord. The fiery arrows hurt, but Lord, we know we can come to you for comfort and for binding over those wounds. Lord, help us, help us, Lord, to give this message to others who have no clue how to get out of this place that feels so broken, that feels so doorless, Lord. Help us as you send us out to bind up the brokenhearted, Lord. Help us to show others that it's you that does the binding. It's you that does the freeing. It's you, Lord Jesus, they need to know about. Help us live lives, Lord, that are different to the world, that shine your beautiful moral character that lives inside each one of us because your spirit, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, lives in each one of us. Lord, may that spirit shine in this dark world, this world which is windowless and doorless in terms of its morals, Lord. Help us be your light, your shining light, your moral goodness and your moral character, Lord. Help us to choose your way. May we speak your words. May we do good deeds, Lord, through your spirit. Help each one of us, Lord, pause and think. When we speak words to one another, may they be words of love and kindness and gentleness, Lord. Lord, may there be no meanness in our hearts. May we keep coming back to you, Lord Jesus, to be guided by you, to live and walk in your spirit, Lord, not to be fooled, 
by the prince of this world, Lord. We pray in your precious and your mighty and your strong name. Amen.